0: you're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be tonight. Jumping into the, the preaching here. All right. got to get my stuff squared away here. Colossians chapter 2. We'll read uh, just verses 1 through down through uh, verse... Well, let's see. No, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 4. What am I thinking? Colossians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Read down through verse 6 just so we get the context here. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, "'Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal.'" Knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Here's the focus here. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. That's the context, the verses we're focusing on. I'll read again verses 2 through 4. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Tonight I'm going to be preaching on a simple concept of prayer and its, its involvement in the work of the gospel. And the title tonight is The Key That Opens Gospel Doors. The Key That Opens Gospel Doors. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I'm grateful for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us. We certainly don't deserve to be able to even stand and read it tonight, but we're grateful for it. Pray that you would bless our time around the Word, bless the reading of it. I pray that you'd help us to see the point here and then to apply it to our lives by the end of the message. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Appreciate it. Maybe you've heard a quote about prayer that goes something like this. The only place power ever comes before prayer is in the dictionary. Again, the only place power ever comes before prayer is in the dictionary. And I believe that's true. Power does not precede prayer in the work of God. And again, this is a very simple concept tonight, and you'll see maybe why by the end of it. uh, We are going to focus tonight on the concept of prayer and the work that it does in the gospel. See, prayer always comes first. And then power. And yet, prayer seems to be the first thing that we skip, isn't it? It seems very easy to set prayer aside and just get out there and try to do something in our own power without realizing that we don't have God's power. When the disciples asked Christ in Mark 9 why they couldn't cast out an evil spirit, the Lord said, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer And fasting. The reason they didn't have the power to do what what I know they wanted to, what Christ wanted them to, is because they didn't. They hadn't been praying and fasting. His kind cometh not forth but by prayer and fasting. Prayer comes first, and then power. The disciples saw this play out in Jesus Christ's life too. When they came to him in Luke chapter eleven, a series we did last year, "Lord, teach us to pray" was the series, and they came and said, "Lord, teach us to pray." As John also. Uh, Taught his disciples because they had seen Jesus Christ doing in private uh, what he did with his Father in prayer and communication before he went out and he did the works and the power uh, with the power and the miracles. And it's interesting that Jesus Christ has all power, he's omnipotent, and yet he didn't bypass the process of spending time in private with his father before he stepped out in public ministry and did the things that he was doing. And yet who do we think that we are? We're not omnipotent, we don't have all power, we don't have have all knowledge. We don't know everything, and yet we think we can bypass the process that Jesus Christ himself went through before he stepped out into public and did the things that he did. And who are we to think we'd have any power if we bypass the process? And I think about uh, what the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And I don't think it's any accident that the book of Acts is, is really, it's a, it's a story about the power of God overcoming that whole region. And those disciples, they prayed and they sought God. And the whole book of Acts is God's power being made manifest uh, through that early local church. The whole book is an account of the power of God changing people's lives. Amen. The early Christians continued in prayer and they prospered by God's power because of their prayer. The best way to get God's power involved in our efforts... It's through personal or purposeful prayer. See, folks, we're not a mighty church if we're not a praying church. We're not a mighty church, although I'd love to be considered a mighty church. And I don't mean in numbers, and I don't mean um, even necessarily in worldwide influence or fame. I mean mighty as in the Spirit of God controls us and his power is mighty through us and it's evident when people step into the building and or talk to members of east side that god's spirit is mighty in us that's what i mean by might and if we love god and we're if we're concerned about the progress of the gospel we will be devoted to prayer to empower the gospel we will be devoted to prayer to open doors for the gospel Oswald Chambers said, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. It doesn't fit us for the greater work. It is the greater work. And we sometimes think, well, the greater work is me going out and and me reaching people for Christ and, and bringing people in and doing these mighty things for God. But the greatest work took place in a closet that morning in prayer. Leonard Ravenhill, in his book, Why Revival Tarries, he wrote, Poverty-stricken as the church is today in many things, she is the most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. And I don't know how anybody could say it any better than that. Prayer is vastly underutilized in the work of the gospel. We usually, and here's, here's the issue, we usually have no problem at all going to God when we have a health need. And we don't forsake going to God when we have a financial need and things are really tight and we need him to come through it. We don't fail to pray when we have a need in some area of our daily lives. We have few problems with prayer when our focus is on God fixing our problems. But we tend to neglect the fact that the doors of the gospel depend on prayer to be open as the key. See, Paul applied, we came to Colossians chapter 4, and Paul applied the lordship of Christ to their relationship with unbelievers. I know that sounds confusing out of nowhere. I'm trying to give you the context um, because it's in me to do that every time. Uh, verse 1, he refers to, look what he says, "...masters, given to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven." And in many ways, he's connecting this with the passage that came before it. Um, he's talking about how Jesus Christ is our master, the context is the, that Jesus is our Lord. And Colossians is a Christ-centered let, uh, letter. There were, there were false prophets and false teachers that were emphasizing spiritual growth in the life of the Colossians. And they were trying to get them to think they could grow apart from Christ. And, and, and Paul was trying to get them back to the, the fact that only Christ is sufficient for spiritual growth. That's the context, is that Christ is the supreme All-sufficient master. And since he is supreme, he is sufficient. Because he is sufficient, then believers are complete in Christ. That's all you need. And he was trying to get them to understand that. That's the context of the book of of Colossians. Since Christ is supreme, believers should be submitted to his lordship in their lives. And isn't that true? If if Jesus Christ is supreme, if he's the ultimate capital M master, as we see in verse 1... Um, then, then he is everything we need. If he's all-sufficient, then why do we turn to anything else to help us be the Christians we're supposed to be? So he applies it in many areas. He applies it in the fact that the Lord ought to show up in the church and in our relationships with each other. Absolutely. If he's our master, that ought to be evident in the way we deal with each other. It ought to be evident in our homes. Your marriage is not an end in itself, it is to bring glory to the master. Your children should be discipled in your home so they can be, bring glory to their master. That Christ is Lord and master, that should show up in your workplace and we should work in a godly way and, and remember that we come in contact with people for the sake of Jesus Christ. And so that's the context here and then Paul then shifts his focus of application to those now that are outside the faith. And I believe probably that the Colossians, they saw the need within the church walls. They saw their need to make Jesus Christ their master because there were times where it's not easy to get along with family. I don't know if you knew that or not, but if you had a brother or sister, you know that's the case. As, as kids, you know, I'm nobody I loved more and yet at the same time didn't love at all than my sister. And sometimes living within the same walls, it brings out the best and sometimes the worst in us, doesn't it? But sometimes I do believe we get so focused on our relationships in here and our bubble and the circle that we're in that we forget that Christ is our master. That should affect our relationship outside these walls, too. You know, if he's our master and the loss matters so much to him, then why don't they matter to us like they do to him? If he's our master, then the only way the world is reachable is with his help. And of all the responsibilities to relationships that we have, the ones that I believe are most likely to be neglected are those outside these walls. Those that are without Christ. It's pretty easy. You've heard the phrase, out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? And and that's very true sometimes that when you don't see something for a while, you forget it's there and you just kind of go on with your life. And if we're not engaged outside of these walls with the lost on a regular basis, we forget they're still out there. That's why we need evangelistic emphasis days and missions revivals, because we tend to neglect our responsibility to the lost. And we've got to be concerned about those who've not received the gospel. If we ever get to the place that the Great Commission becomes the great omission, we can't possibly be called followers of our Master. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, if, if he's your master, then you've got to make sure that that is evident in your relationship to unbelievers. So he transitions to this thought here in Colossians 4. And that is, if we're concerned about those without Christ, the first thing we should do is Pray. Let's look at a couple verses, and so keep your place here in Colossians chapter 4. Look over in Ephesians, just a, a, a one or two books over, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, it says in verse 17, just a few pages over to the left. My my Bible, I turn three pages. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, he says, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So he says praying always with prayer and supplication and he says watching with perseverance and supplication for all saints and we do that, don't we? we I think we are good at praying for each other when a need arises and, and that we should not neglect that. We should not forget that. We should lift each other up before God in prayer. But we also can't forget that this verse goes on to say, he says, praying in this same regard, not just for the saints, but that there is an utterance or that I would be able to speak and that my mouth would boldly open to make known the mystery of the gospel. Prayer is a vital part of the gospel work. And sometimes I think we forget that, that before we go out, we must, we must pray that God would give us the boldness, that God would give us the utterance. And maybe the reason that we, we say, well, I just don't have many opportunities to present the gospel. Well, if we're not praying for those opportunities, how do we expect that they're going to come? Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians. In my Bible, if I go back to Colossians 4, it's one page now to the right. I think I have pretty fine print in my Bible here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3, it says in verse 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. But that phrase, he says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. That it would go out unhindered. And and, um, we could turn to many places. Turn back to Colossians 4. We could turn to many places in the New Testament where Paul is praying and asking for this very thing. Pray for me that I have utterance. Pray for me that I have boldness. Pray for me that I have opportunities. Pray for me that the word of the Lord has free course. That it's unhindered. Pray, pray, pray. Do you get the idea Paul never separated the power of the gospel from the prayer of the saints? I'm going to say, ask the question again. Do you get the idea that Paul never separated the power of the gospel from the prayer of the saints? He knew that the prayer of the saints was absolutely essential to the success of the gospel. He never once assumed that presenting the gospel to the lost was about having a slick Romans road plan. Now, should you have a good Roman Romans road plan? Absolutely. I've got one that I follow. If you don't have one that you follow, I know Brother Juan is teaching some of that in the college and career class right now. I could give you some resources to help you learn. I'd love to teach you. If you want to learn to do what I do, that'd be great. Or if you just want to learn for yourself, you should always have a plan. If someone asks you how to be saved tomorrow, walks up to you, when you say, well, that would never happen, well, probably be if we don't pray for it, it won't. And probably if we're not prepared for it, it won't. But if somebody was to walk up to you tomorrow and say, how can I be saved? What are the steps in the scripture? Give me the truth. I've got 15 minutes. Can you show me? Do you have a plan? Do you have a plan to show them? I hope you do. But honestly, it's not about that. Our power is not in the plan. It is about prayer, preparing the heart of the listener and giving opportunity to the speaker. Prayer empowers and opens doors for the gospel to be presented and take effect in people's lives. Commentator John Stott, he was wrote, writing about Colossians 4, and he summed it up very well. He said, what can a group of ordinary believing people do to make sure that outsiders hear of Christ? Does that, does that apply to us? What, what do a group of ordinary believing people do to make sure that outsiders hear of Christ? And here's how he sums up this passage. Verses 2 and f- 2 through 4 he says they speak to God about people. And verses 5 and 6 he says they speak to people about God. You want to know in a nutshell what we should be doing as ordinary people to make sure outsiders hear of Christ? We should speak to God about people, and we should speak to people about God. And honestly, it should be in that order. We start by speaking to God about people and then we go out and we speak to people about God. And honestly, if that, was my, if that was my life's purpose, I think I'd be doing pretty well. If all I ever did was speak to God about people and speak to people about God, I think I'd live a life that by the end of it, he might would say, well, well done. It's a pretty good mindset. You want to see fruitful gospel endeavors? Speak to God about people, speak to people about God. So Paul urged the believers of Colossae to devote themselves to prayer. Look at verse 2. He says, continue in prayer. The verb continue is imperative, present, active. Imperative means it's a command. Present means it's ongoing. It's active. It's not passive. And it's in second person. The implication is it's all of you. It's in in, in the New Testament to be the word ye. It's implied here. It says ye, basically ye continue in prayer all of you continue actively ongoing it's a command to continue in prayer and it means to hold fast to continue does it means to attach oneself to to be devoted to to occupy oneself diligently with to pay persistent attention to to spend much time in do you get the idea it is it, it is to continue to do something with intense effort despite difficulty i mean just this week we again my wife and i don't have uh, very many great examples of running, but we tried this week. We tried, and we had we had evidence. Somebody east side, some east drove by on bikes and saw us. It was proof, right? Sawyer back there, he saw me. he he's like you were throwing up in the moment. So we went run. You know what? We ran, and it wasn't easy. We only went a couple miles, but um, but we 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 persisted even when it wasn't easy, and we were able to finish. You know, and sometimes prayer prayer is that one thing that when it gets hard, we quit. It's not easy. And it's and it's hard to play, you know, your own mind plays tricks on you, and you're thinking, is this even going past the ceiling? Is this even doing any good? Is this even helping? No, we're commanded to pray, even though it's not easy. It requires fortitude. It requires endurance. You know, I know a lot of men who work hard, and man, they can work hard in just about any environment and setting, but when it comes time to prayer, man, we're wimps. We're commanded to pray countless times in the New Testament and the Old Testament, and we're commanded many times because it's not easy. I mean, if it was easy, he'd have to say it once, and we'd just go do it. We're, not, we're to be attached to prayer. Commentator Douglas Moo wrote, Paul highlights the need not only to pray, but to make prayer a standard feature of the Christian life. Standard features, you know. Standard features like in a new car. There are certain things now that are just standard features, and every car has it. And unfortunately for most Christians, prayer is not a standard feature. It's an upgrade that most of them don't pay for. And I can say this passionately because I'm in the same category. We could all do better at prayer Is it a standard feature in your life? The concept from Paul implies persistence, determination. How determined are we in prayer? Which word best describes me in prayer? Is it continual or sporadic? Verse 2, so he says, continue in prayer and watch in the same. To To watch is to be awake because of the need to be alert, to be vigilant and ready and alert. To watch according to Thayer's lexicon, this gets heavy Some of these lexicons use words that I'm not very familiar with, okay? But I want to read it because it, number one, makes me sound smart, but number two, because it's a good definition. To watch, according to Thayer, means to take heed, lest through remissness, which is carelessness, and indolence, which is laziness. So I'll start over. To, make, to take heed lest through remissness and carelessness and indolence and laziness some destructive calamity some suddenly overtake one. So that's how we should be in prayer. That's how we should watch in prayer. We should pray in such a way that if we're not careful, if we're careless or we're lazy, some calamity will overtake us. Another way that he said it is to employ the most punctilious You like that one? Anybody know what it means? Painstaking. He said to employ the most punctilious or painstaking or meticulous care in a thing. That's prayer. And yet, I doubt we're that meticulous about prayer. For the most part, you know, and I've done this myself where you get up and and it seems like 75% of the words that I'm saying are just Christian jargon. Christian speak that I've heard somebody else say, you know, and I'm uh, praying and I'm saying, Lord, please help me, Lord, please help me, God, Father, God, you know, those kind of things, you're just kind of filling in the blanks. I I don't find that to be meticulous prayer, yet I do it too. I mean, this is paying attention to the details. It's punctilious prayer. I'm going to do a a little more research on that word and have a title in one of my sermons that includes punctilious. Use it in a, in a sentence by, the, by Sunday. We'll see if you can. Painstaking. Meticulous. Is that the kind of attention that we give to prayer? See, the manner of a person who's devoted himself to prayer is that he ends it and says, and watching the same with Thanksgiving, every request, and here's a good reminder, every request should be sprinkled with Gratitude. Don't just be a taker, be a giver of thanks. So Paul urged the believers, and here we come, start wrapping this into application. He he urged the believers of Colossae to devote themselves to prayer so that others could have access to the gospel. You say, well, why is prayer important? Well, because people's lives are at stake. Why is prayer important? Well, because the eternity of somebody that hasn't heard about Christ hangs in the balance. And when the Colossians devoted themselves to prayer, it took them from spectators to participants in the work. You realize that? Listen, a lot of times you'll have a missionary come up here and they hold up their card and say, please, even if you don't financially support us or partner with us, pick up a prayer card and partner with us in the ministry. You've heard them say that, haven't you? And a lot of times I say, well, that's just what missionaries say. But this is literally what Paul is saying should be happening. When we pray where when the Colossians were going to pray, that Paul would have a door of utterance open, that he would speak boldly, that the word of God may have free course. Do you realize that though, that the Colossians, if they were praying for those things, they were Paul's partner when he was speaking the gospel. And it gets, uh, it gets you involved. Uh, it, prayer gets you involved as a partner when others take the gospel to, to a lost person. Think about that. Have you ever been door knocking in or soul winning, and someone gets to present the gospel. There's one person that presents the gospel, and the other person is the what? The silent partner. And you kind of sit in the background, and if there's kids misbehaving, you like, you know, put them in a chokehold so they can't distract, and if the TV's on too loud, you're like changing the turning, no, not really, I guess maybe you could. But the silent partner gets over in the corner and prays. And and we think, well, they're partnering because they're right there and they're praying and they're praying that God's word would have to take effect as as that person hears it. But listen, you don't have to be standing in the same room to be a silent partner. That's what Paul's saying. You don't even have to be on the same continent to be a silent partner for me when I'm presenting the gospel. He's he's telling them, you can be 10,000 miles away from me and if you will pray that a door of utterance for the gospel will be opened through my lips, you can actually partner with me Even if you've never met me, even if you've never seen me, because you would have to think there are people in Colossae that have never met Paul, new converts. But he's saying, you can be an invisible missionary, It's like you're walking along with me. It's like you're in the streets with me. When I present the gospel, if you will pray for me, you can be an invisible missionary, a a prayer partner, and and working alongside of me, and you don't have to be on on the same continent. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? When I was thinking about that today, it kind of opened my eyes to how many opportunities I've missed missionaries, I've been in church my, my whole life and my whole 43 years of existence. Uh, I've been in churches that support missionaries and those missionaries are all around the world probably every hour of every day because of time differences. They're out there spreading the gospel message And if at any time, listen, if at any time of the day I would just think to stop and pray for a missionary that we support or pray for a missionary across the seas, even if we don't support them and they're giving the message of the gospel, I I imagine that even right now there's somebody somewhere in this world presenting the gospel to somebody else. And if I would be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to pray for those things as he brings them to my mind, I can have a hand potentially and a lost soul coming to Jesus Christ Amen. by praying at my desk at work, by praying in my office or praying at home when I'm sitting down at the dinner table. You realize you can partner with a missionary. You can partner with somebody around the world that a door of utterance would be open. And that he says with all, he says verse three, with all praying also for us. And that means at the same time, And they were to pray that God would open a door for Paul, all of them at the same time. That simply means to make possible some opportunity at any moment. A door of utterance refers to a message of divine revelation. And, And what Paul is asking for is prayer that God would give him the opportunity to preach God's message. To speak is to sound out or announce, it's obvious. Sounding out the message of the gospel brought Paul into Roman custody as a prisoner. He's in bonds, he says, right now because of his... His desire to preach the gospel, he's in bonds. But he's praying even for more open doors, even as a prisoner in bonds. And he's not asking them for his liberty. He's not asking them to be released from the difficulty he's in. He's asking for more opportunities that he could present to somebody else to experience the the spiritual freedom that he gets to. How selfless is that? It's a good reminder, too, that personal safety must at times be sacrificed for God's work to move forward. It's a good thing for us to remember right now. 2020 has caused a lot of Christians to step back in the name of safety, and for some I believe it's wise. But we can't drop the gospel ball because we're afraid. We must be balanced. He says in verse 4, ...that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And that just simply means... ...he wants to make the gospel message known... ...but not just known, he wants to make it clear. When the opportunities arose... ...he wanted it to be clear. He felt obligated. So listen, we should devote ourselves to prayer... ...so that others might have access to the gospel. We should be devoted to prayer... ...because only God can open doors for the gospel. And he said, well, prayer is the key. Well, prayer is the key... That, that prompts or moves God to open the doors. I don't know how it works. I just know he says that when we pray, it opens doors. Listen, it's not our prayers, it's God. And sure, God has directed us to pray, but we also are also to pray for laborers, and we're to pray for power, we're praying for opportunity, we're praying for doors of utterance to be opened. And someone's, listen, someone's opportunity to hear might be dependent on my choice to pray. Someone's opportunity to hear might be dependent on my choice to pray. Put yourself in that position of the person that hasn't heard. Would you desire prayer if you were the lost on the other side of the world and there's a missionary in your town? If it was a loved one that that could hear, would you desire someone to present the gospel that had God's power or didn't have God's power? Which would you which would you prefer? If it was your child that might or might not hear the gospel, would you desire that the message be clear or confusing? Pray as if it's you. Pray as if it's someone that you know. Pray as if it's someone that you love, and pray that there would be power and pray that there would be opportunity and pray that there would be clarity. We need to be devoted to prayer so that others can have access to the gospel, and maybe it's time that we just redevote ourselves to prayer as an individual. Maybe you make it a part of your day as much as you do anything else. If you're driving to work, you say, I'm gonna pray that that open doors for the gospel uh, will be open today, that power will be on somebody's lip lips and that clarity would be a part of it. Devote yourself as an individual, devote yourself as a family to pray. Use the missionary list that we hand out. Use it during your devotions as a family or when you sit down to supper and before you pray for the meal. Pray for a door of utterance. Pray for the gospel to be empowered. Pray pray that God would open doors. Pray that there would be clarity. Use your church directory to systematically pray for fellow members as they present the gospel right here in Sioux Falls because you may not present the gospel tomorrow but somebody else in this room might. And you may not even know the name, but pray for a door to be open. Maybe we're not getting doors open because we're not praying for them. And the truth is, uh, we don't have the same opportunities right now. Things are different, and I get that. And we don't have any intention of abandoning our, our outreach efforts. But, but honestly, I do believe, I believe completely that if every member of Eastside Baptist Church was completely sold out to the idea of empowered gospel preaching on the streets and in workplaces and in schools we wouldn't need a program to keep people accountable in the end it lies at our at our door the responsibility sits on my shoulders and your shoulders be a prayer partner you can't walk. Uh, we're going to have missionary missionary to India. The Ruckmans will be going back to Africa at some point. We've got one man who pastors a deaf church in Ohio. And we can't go where they're going. But we kind of can. As a prayer partner. My prayer 10,000 miles away from Africa. Could someday potentially open a door for James Ruckman to tell an African about, the, about Jesus Christ. It could give him an opportunity, and it could help empower him, and it could help him present it with clarity. And I could do that from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Let's devote ourselves to prayer as a church. Pray for the missionaries, and pray for open doors, and pray for those who witness. And, and even right here, pray for those at work and in school and in our communities. Giving the gospel without prayer is like trying to drive a car with no gas. Presenting the gospel, it's like shooting a shotgun with no shells. No power. Powerless presentations of the gospel are rooted in prayerless people of God. Powerless presentations of the gospel are rooted in prayerless people of God. The reason we don't have power in our presentation is because we're prayerless. Someone wisely stated, there is much we can do after we've prayed, but nothing we can do until we have prayed. Make prayer the basis of your approach to life, the foundation. Pray for laborers, pray for boldness, pray for power, and pray for clarity. Tonight I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray as a church, as individual partners, for our missionaries. I specifically ask you to pray then for the three missionary families coming to Missions Revival. And I've got the slides and the names up there um, on, the, uh, on the screen and you can look at it there. But also in the prayer list, if you've got a prayer list today, there's a section in the middle and it's yellow and it, and it has these things listed out. But just look at the prayer requests. You've got our missionaries. Pray for each missionary by name. And I'm going to ask you every day to do this. Pray for Scott and Trisha Crabtree. They're bringing their teenage daughters, Jesselyn and Brooklyn. And then James and An- Angie Ruckman. And, and I'm sure the boys will be here for some of the services potentially Sam and Blessy Thomas, their little daughter, Anita, will be here as well. The Crabtree's are missionaries to the death. The Ruckmans to Africa. The Thomases to India. And as you pray for them, pray for God's grace and help and blessing in their ministries. And pray for open doors for the gospel. Anything we talked about, pray for open doors and opportunities. Pray for power. Pray for clarity from their lips. But also, though, in the area of missions for our own church family... We've got some things we need to pray for here. Pray that each member of Eastside would commit to attending every service during the missions revival. You know, if, we want, if we want to increase the effectiveness of missions, then we ought to be willing to take small steps here ourselves uh, during the week of missions revival and be here at every service. Pray that every member would commit to giving weekly to missions. If we're going to say what missions is important, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Our heart's an indicator of of our love for missions. So I just thought, man, tonight it'd be good if we're gonna hear a message on the importance of prayer to the effectiveness of the gospel. It's the key that opens gospel doors. Then we ought to take some time to pray for it as a church. And you've also, not only just the missionaries there, but you've got on the the back side, you've got Eastside Baptist missionaries in in section two with two section twos, the foreign missions on the back You've got, as well, all around the world, you've got missionaries to pray for every day. You say, I just don't know how to pray for them or who to pray for, but this list shows you. you say, well, I didn't pick one up. Well, you can get one on the way out. Let's make this a matter of life, a foundation. Let's make this a standard feature in the membership of Eastside Baptist Church that we, we don't just pray when our needs are, are bigger than we, than we can handle. We pray for the gospel Effectiveness. Not only in the missionaries we support and missionaries around the world, but sometimes even a missionary you don't even know the name of if God prompts you to say pray right now for a door of utterance, for boldness, for clarity, for power. Let's just spend some time and I don't want to make it too short. I want to give you the opportunity to pray just right even there right at your seat. Let's just take these requests up here to the Lord or pray for some missionary on the list that the Lord leads you to. And let's put into practice what Paul asked the Church of Colossae to do. do. So I'm going to ask you, even if you want to bow right there at your pew, let's take some time and humble ourselves before God and pray for our missionaries and pray for missions revival and pray that we can start putting into practice what is a very biblical thing to do, and that is prayer is the key to open gospel doors.